0: Hey, Dad. Yes, son? Where did
1: Dracula's come from? Well, when a Victorian novelist who has minimal success loves an epistolary novel very much, then you get a novel that was not terribly successful in its time, but due to a play in a film, became very popular. And
2: giving us 125 years of fanfic. And
1: maybe about, oh, I don't know, one or two year equivalents of it actually being any good. WMQA.
0: And that was the cold open. Hello, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is, it is time for the WMQA Three Amigos Halloween Special. Uh, I'm here. I'm Dan. Matt's also here. Say hi, Matt. Matt is is here. But most importantly, uh, Rob is here. Rob Lynch, welcome. You honor us with your presence once more.
2: Good good evening.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are children of the night making beautiful music. Uh, So this year's Halloween special is all about that public domain hero, Dracula. Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Impaler, Vlad Tepes, other names, but uh, that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, just three friends talking about uh, Rob. I believe you put in
2: the notes the original Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's not just Wu Tang; it's for the children. But uh, good old Vlad Tepish, the original Pokemon.
0: Well, after after four Hotel Transylvania movies, yes, unfortunately, Dracula is it's for the children. But uh, we we will get into that. Uh, but yeah, we are, we are dealing and, and just as a point of disambiguation, we are dealing specifically with Dracula and not just vampires in general. So, uh, it is not, it is not twilight time, nor has it been for like a decade. We're old anyway, uh, what, let, but let's start, let's start at, the start at the very beginning, thousands of years ago, uh, as they, as they say, uh, do you remember, and, and of course we were all probably very young children at the time, do you remember your first encounter with dracula i am assuming mine was either an episode of scooby-doo uh by the <laughs> way happy happy coming out velma uh or there was a, there was an episode of spider-man and his amazing friends where dracula uh puts the puts the glamour on firestar and tries to take her back to transylvania to be his his bride uh or maybe count Dracula, if that counts
1: if count Dracula counts and that might be mine as well Okay. Because I, I distinctly remember Count Dracula, but I also remember this probably came out when I was eight or nine. The real Ghostbusters toy line did a line of classic monsters, action figures. And the thing that was great about them was the name of the creature and monster on the card. So mm-hmm. it was Dracula monster, Wolfman monster, Frankenstein monster, zombie monster, Mummy Monster and Quasimodo Monster. And poor Quasimodo getting lumped in with the rest of the, you know, monster monsters. It's like, I feel bad for that, dude. But I remember getting those toys and then looking at like classics illustrated mm-hmm. or like the, the, these like readers digest books. that my parents had that gave, you know, the rundowns of classic novels to understand you know Frankenstein and Dracula and Quasimodo at least who all had you know actual literary antecedents versus the zombie the wolf man and the mummy that were just sort of public domain creatures mm.
2: what about you Rob oh my god I mean when, when was there a time I didn't know Dracula uh I mean going back to the earliest I mean Count Chocula <laughs> <laughs> um if you remember uh those awful drugstore Halloween masks. It was like, they were like the real thin plastic with the rubber band strap that choked your head. Um, I, my first, I think, real like serious encounter with Dracula, um, circa 87. It was the uh, second volume of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. It was the uh, the back end, the Book of the Dead was mm-hmm. the uh, entry. At this point, uh, Dracula was... Uh, Officially, I'm putting that in quotations. Officially <laughs> dead after the uh, the Montezzi formula and Doctor Strange, um, probably the longest entry in that entire volume. Um, just really fascinating. I mean, it was just like a real deep dive, and you know, to the mythology of vampires. And I mean, if you really sit there and get into um, the Marvel history of the vampire, which is you know completely different than you know any, anything that Stoker even like implied. I mean, it's it's kind of batshit you know, going back to, you know, to the creation of the universe, to Cathon, to the time of Conan, to Atlantis, to Apocalypse. I mean, it's, it, it's the kitchen sink, you know? Uh, that made a big impression. And uh, I would say, you know, shortly after that, I had an interest in, in, in watching the originals. And then mm-hmm. I did see, you know, the, the Lugosi film, like on a Saturday, you know, Channel 29 marathon. Um, One thing I do want to throw in, though, it's Mm. probably one of my fondest early memories of anything Dracula related was um, the Halloween of 1988. I was living with my grandfather at the time in uh, Vineland, New Jersey, which does have a a significance in a second. Um, It has a a very uh, predominant Puerto Rican community there. So it's a lot of Spanish speaking. And we had a local... Um, Spanish language channel for uh, South Jersey. My grandfather knew I was a big horror movie fan. And there was a little blurb that he saw in the Philadelphia Inquirer, like the TV section, um, advertising that this channel was going to be airing the Spanish version of Dracula that was made in 1931 concurrently with the Todd Browning version. And, you know, set your VCRs and it was a little like four star capsule review of it. And just, you know, this is something that's rarely played. And he cut that out for me, and he was like, "Oh, Bobby, Bobby, we've got to watch this. This this sounds, you know, really neat." And we did. I mean, it, it, it wasn't subtitled. Um, I, I, I know very little conversational Spanish that I picked up from friends in school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we really, really enjoyed ourselves. I mean, it, it was a really, you know, cool experience that you know I, I, I will always cherish. And yeah,
0: nice. That that, that is very nice. Um that-
1: that version's a little more readily available now it's usually on whatever home release of the browning one i that's how i saw it cuz it was on yeah, my that, uh, dvd of the browning dracula they had that as sort of a b-side
2: yeah you know thankfully i mean universal has has treated that movie well i mean i i would still like to see more supplements like you know like a full restoration if that's even possible and documentaries and things like that i mean it isn't always kind of like tacked on as a special feature but i mean at least it is presented and it's not just kind of like lost you know like some forgotten novelty so you know i mean kudos to them i mean for the most part universal has treated their monster canon pretty well i mean you know that that is sort of like a, a physical meet at evergreen i mean now it's on uh it's 4k iteration so there's no stopping it there <laughs> that's good that's good to see
1: i mean the frowning dracula ugh, top Three of the classic Universal films. I'm not talking the monster itself. I'm talking the actual movie. Probably not as good as Frankenstein.
2: Well, Bride is the peak.
1: Bride, uh, right. I'll,
2: I'll, I'll fight you for that.
1: No, no. Bride, is, yes. <laughs> Bride is the. I, I think it's still better than Wolfman. I think it's still better than Invisible Man. I years ago, I probably would have said it's better than Creature, but Del Toro has given such an appreciation to Creature from the Black Lagoon. Now <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, Creature from the Black Lagoon's got to wind up higher in everybody's ranking because, you know, thank you Guillermo Del Toro and Doug Jones. <laughs> whether it's shape Stop. of water or abe sapien i got i gotta i gotta
2: throw in my little convention thing here i mean my love for uh creature like really intensified i got to meet uh julia adams uh about a decade ago and I, that was just uh they had her in this little like backdrop with you know a giant like creature and a little jungle you know, like, like background and everything and it was funny she told me that uh I guess it's probably a story she tells every other person that there's only two co-stars that she ever fell in love with during her film career. And it was Elvis Presley and the creature, which I thought was really adorable.
0: (laughs) It's like a prequel to the shape of water. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now here's the, here's the thing about Dracula. and, And I was trying to kind of go down this rabbit hole, but like Dracula is one of those few characters who is in the public domain. And so Anyone can use him. And, you know, looking from the long list of Dracula movies, that that's clear. But, I mean, it's basically, if you think about it, it's like him and Sherlock Holmes and, like, King Arthur and Jesus. <laughs> you know? Um, I'm sure there are other examples, but they're the ones I'm coming up with off the top of my head. You know? And whoever else was in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But, like, imagine if Disney ever let the copyrights on, like, Mickey Mouse or Spider-Man laughs. Like, that's kind of what we're talking
2: about. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the trailer. Um, the uh, copyright for Winnie the Pooh just expired. Yeah, the, the, orig- the original iteration of Winnie the Pooh, not yeah. the disney version. Yeah. And what did they do? It, it, it almost looks like one of those, like, asylum horror movies made for, like, a buck 50, but we've got, like, <laughs> an edgelord horror take on Winnie the Pooh. I mean, and you see the trailer, and it's exactly... What you would expect i mean it just it reeks of like you know you go to like one of those haunted hay rides where you know they're still blasting like coal chamber and slipknot you know <laughs> <laughs> you know you know so, it's, it's some redneck in a five-finger death punch shirts che- you know chasing you with a chainsaw and.
1: yeah Peter Pan also not too long ago finally hit the public domain because Peter Pan uh... had an extended copyright in the UK because Barry deeded the rights to a children's hospital. So as long as Pan was under copyright, they got a cut of all the uses of Pan. So they extended that copyright, but I'm fairly certain now it's finally lapsed. Because that kind of circling back to comics is why in uh, Bill Willingham's fables, the original plan was Peter Pan was the big bad. Peter Pan was the adversary, but they, but the copyright holders wouldn't clear it. So it shifted to Geppetto. But now that fables has come back, Mm -hmm. it's circled back to that idea with Pan as the villain. So I think, and I know I'd seen Pan pop up in other places that were not as sanitized because, Let's mm-hmm. be fair. When you when someone presents Peter Pan in a certain light, he kidnaps children. He, he's a creepy little fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he,
0: he was a great villain in Chippendale Rescue Rangers.
1: He right makes that? a
2: mean peanut butter sandwich. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was the other place where I was like, OK, yeah, this is r- right. Peter Pan is in the public domain now because they can, you know, make him the villain in Peter Pan uh, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers.
0: Although, that, again, that's like the Disney vibe version of Peter Pan. So, does that count? <laughs> uh,
1: I mean, I think Disney but also that still really had needed... like
0: South Park characters in it.
1: Yeah, I think Disney still needed to clear that with the, the Barry Estate or whoever the, the copyright holders were to use Pan. So, I guess if they were able to do doughy middle aged Peter Pan, mm-hmm. either they've gotten really lax or that is in the public domain. <laughs> yeah.
0: Copyright hey, law is wild. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Yeah. We we have to have a friend of the show, Dave Harris on to talk about some of that stuff because
2: hmm. You know, I made a crack I I made a crack in the cold opening about you know 125 years of fan fiction Mm -hmm. If you really really think about it And this goes One one of the big points, you know, when I came up with this idea Like, okay, let's not just do another Film or whatever, let's actually just do Like an entity Or a character or whatever, and I think about Mm -hmm. Dracula is so endlessly adaptable um i mean one of the big things that you know i wanted to really approach is the why you know i'm all about those themes Mm -hmm. you know i'm always i'm always picking at poor dan you know (laughs) like you know what you want like you know like, like, like some like you know gnarly medieval movie you know when our heroes uh walk into, you know, doom and they, uh, they see the skeleton and there's like a raven sitting there picking out the eyeballs, you know. That, that, that's me picking at Dan, you know, about the themes and then the whys and everything. And, you know, and Dan's like, God damn it, Third Amigo Rob Lynch, I just want to eat some Parmesan-crusted steak with my family. <laughs> Go bug Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, 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 the one, I, and I kind of got an answer to that question. I really, going back to the original text, and that was one of the things, like, you know, the little bit of homework that I did for this. And, I, and believe me, I didn't really do a whole lot just because I've always kind of like, you know, been acquainted with, you know, Dracula-related media, but was to sort of digest it in a way, like in a bubble, and just take it for what it is and not what came from it. And the think about the original novel, Dracula, it's, as far as character goes, it's pretty threadbare. Um, You don't really get a whole lot of like detail about who or what Dracula is. Everything that Stoker kind of lines out, it's all on the margins. The line that really kind of like sticks with me, and I think it's like the key line if you ever want to discuss Dracula, is one of his opening lines, enter freely and leave some of the happiness you bring. Which just, you know, implies this, this this great solitude and this great sadness behind his character that we just we know is being kind of very you know evil and sinister and predatory and things like that. Um, I mean that's really the only semblance that you, you get of that in the original novel. The thing is it, it's kind of what Stoker either leaves out or doesn't even explore. It made it so much so Tempting, I think, for others to kind of like fill in that gap and kind of do their own take on it to introduce the idea of, you know, the pathos of Dracula, Dracula as a humorous figure. But uh, but, that, but that's yeah. the
0: thing, though, you're hitting the nail on the head. There have been so many adaptations of of Dracula. There have been so many appearances of, of Dracula across media that, you know, the, the character Started as fiction and became legend, right? So his, you know, he he's a man of like thirty million conflicting black backstories and everybody sort of has their own Dracula uh, in their head. You know, some are more monstrous and grotesque. You're no, you know, some are are sexier. Some are are scarier. And some are Leslie Nielsen. Oh,
2: there's another big point that I I, I didn't want really to get into in the idea of fanfic. The character of Dracula himself—I mean, we know him now to be based on Vlad Tepish, Vlad the Impaler. Mm-hmm. Um, that really wasn't until the fifties that that was kind of like, sort of like officially attached to him. Um, Stoker really only implies—I mean, Stoker intends him to be this same person of that mm-hmm. without explicitly saying it. So I mean, really, if you think about it, Stoker himself is dealing with legend and sort of fan fiction in his own right of, of taking this legend of this character and putting his own spin on it. I, I mean, it's it's he's the first in this long line of people that just, they, they enter freely and then leave something, whether it's happiness or their own artistic stand, you know, mm-hmm. on that, yeah.
1: So my, since we're talking Stoker, I just have to throw this out. And this is sadly something that has now, is no longer something you can do, which is a real shame because this was great. Uh, Whoa, hell's bells five years ago uh, for my wife, Amber's 40th birthday, we went to Dublin. And one of the things that we took in was Castle Dracula. Uh, Bram Stoker was born in Dublin Mm -hmm. and we went to Ireland, but this was in Dublin. Um, We toured a good chunk of the country. So th- th- this was this wonderfully hokey attraction. You literally had to enter through like a fitness club and go through <laughs> the fitness club and pass and then at the back of the fitness club the back half of this had been converted into this the Bram Stoker Museum because it was basically right across from where Stoker had been born. And there was all this really cool like mem- you know memorabilia like history of Stoker. You were led through by actors playing uh Lucy Westenra and Renfield and <laughs> you eventually were brought to uh you got a magic show and Amber and I got the VIP ticket so we got Castle Dracula t-shirt which I if I'd been smart I would have worn that tonight but uh we got like little books about Dracula it was a really neat little attraction but my favorite fact that I learned that night that I did not know is that Stoker's wife before she was engaged to Stoker, was in a relationship with Oscar Wilde. So they competed for the love of the same woman. So there are various rumors that Stoker and Wilde had various things in common, which might lead to some of the, the terror of sex stuff you get in Dracula. But that is, of course rumor as stoker was never quite as outwardly forward as oscar wilde was
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: but yeah that was just a a fun fact that i that was that stuck with me from that trip that little tour through the stoker museum particularly
0: so to uh i guess direct things a little bit uh one of the twitter questions we got today uh front of the show rob secundus asked uh what is your favorite and least favorite adaptations?" of dracula so you know thinking thinking of course to my own uh very specific and and personal brand uh it's it's gonna it always comes back to uh that one captain britain and mi-13 story where pete wisdom (laughs) stops a vampire (laughs) invasion uh, from the moon you know and that's probably matt please correct me if i'm wrong i think that's the last time we actually saw like the classic colon style tomb of dracula dracula in a marvel comic
1: there might have been one tiny appearance after that in some like legion of monsters, one shot, you know, one of the fifth week event kind of thing, but that was the last true major appearance by that version of Dracula. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's another reason to love it besides the fact that my uh, problematic fave, uh, you know, earned his, his true uh, spy master merit badge in, in that story. Uh, you know, folks, if you if if you back the WMQ Patreon, uh, you get access to a monthly bonus podcast where I just talk about Pete Wisdom once a month
1: and it's great. <laughs> it is. You know, I've guessed it. And will again, <laughs> when we get to that story, believe you me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh least i'll I'll
0: go with least favorite now uh and i already mentioned this those fucking hotel transylvania movies are god awful <laughs> oh my god they're 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 basically the grown-ups franchise but even less funny and it's just when i when i remember that it's just it's just a waste of Gendy kartakovsky animation when you think about everything else on that man's resume mm-hmm. you know and, and listen let the man eat let the man get a paycheck i'm just i'm just saying it's a waste of talent that's all but uh, I, I, I passed the mic. There's plenty of honorable mentions, which we'll get to in list, but yeah. uh, Matt, do you have a, a fave and least fave?
1: Fave is similar, but older to yours. Mine is Wolfman and Colin. It's Tomb of Dracula. I, when Marvel back in the day, when they were doing Essentials, those big black and white phone books,
2: mm-hmm. I got
1: all four volumes of Tomb. And while a lot of those Those books don't work as well in black and white. Those, you know, the loss of the color kind of loses some of the comic. Mm -hmm. Gene Colan in black and white doing Dracula, yes, please. It's good shit. It it actually, (laughs) I think, looks a little even better than the the colored version because of Colan's use of shadow and such.
2: You know, what's particularly great was um, Dracula also had a, um, a black and white magazine. Yep. Kind of like, you know, what what uh, Hulk and mm-hmm. everybody had in the 70s. And uh, the back half of that volume is actually an adaptation with uh, Dick Giordano doing yes. the artwork. Oh, it, I mean, it, it, it's very reminiscent of, you know, some of the work that like Warren was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. But, oh, it's, it's wonderful.
1: One it's of, a great adaptation. Oh, yeah. One of Roy Thomas's various Dracula adaptations. We will get to some more of those because there's there's another a couple other dracula series that he did uh that we will i'm sure at some point tonight wind up discussing in relation to another version of dracula uh least favorite probably because it is in some ways playing off of my favorite uh blade trinity (laughs) hey you know what i love dominic purcell He's heat wave. He's great, not as Dracula, <sighs> not as Dracula.
0: Okay, I've never, I've never seen Blade Trinity. I did not realize that haircuts. Yeah,
2: and 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 Parker Posey is his lead lackey, and uh, it's, yeah,
0: is, is it something Ryan Reynolds makes like a garlic farts joke?
1: Ryan Reynolds makes a lot of bad jokes as Hannibal King in that, which is.
2: I have two things to tell you. I just ate a lot of garlic, too. I just farted. And <laughs>
1: uh, you know, it, it's like, uh, Hannibal King's not the jokey one. Hannibal King is like noir detective vampire guy. That's what makes him a great character. He's, he's Sam Spade. If Sam Spade was a vampire, <laughs> he can make jokes, but they're, you know, noir detective jokes. God damn it.
2: And you have the worst probably the most obnoxious product placement for the iPod ever that is so dated and that we always see Abigail Whistler like
1: syncing up her iPod <laughs> but but the DVD came with a really neat uh, little tie-in comic with Amanda Connor art so that was cool
0: hmm. Hmm. okay <laughs> Not my first pick for like a vampire shooting though Vampirella at the
1: time or right around that time
0: i now now i'm not arguing amanda connor on Vampirella.
1: yeah dracula Dracula is a different vibe you know what i'm saying yeah oh yeah no i mean this was uh the that movie's night stalkers in that comic so it was abigail whistler and hannibal king so Mm -hmm. yeah it it was what it was (laughs) your turn rob well,
2: this one is kind of a, a pretty easy one, but uh, I, I just want to say in general, for me in the films, uh, the 70s was like the real like golden era of Dracula. I mean, you've, you've got all over the spectrum, like every kind of Dracula you can think of. Um, the one that to me is the most striking and it, it may be one of the <laughs> actually most beautiful films that I can think off the top of my head is uh, Werner Herzog's take on Nosferatu Uh, which oh my god where do you even start with it it's not even so much the vampire mythos or like the big moments that you would expect that he very much like downplays them it's his own little flourishes that he puts in it and just the mood that the film evokes I mean everything from you know the his version of Whitby as uh you know, the, the foggy, you know, seashore, you know, with the great, you know, Isabella Johnny sitting in the dunes with all the gravestones surrounding her and Harker, you know, unconscious with the, you know, the boy playing violin over him, and the funeral procession, you know, when everybody believes that the plague has arrived and all the rats and everything and just how he kind of, he, he treats Dracula, not so much as a monster or even a predator, but as a creature of pathos and and, and and sadness. And, you know, another thing is, you know, when you go back to the original Stoker novel, Dracula is, is not present for most of it. And you basically see him in the beginning in Castle Dracula. And then throughout, he's just basically a presence that they encounter. Um, whereas, you know, Herzog follows him. I mean, as he, you know, arrives at Whitby and you see him settling in at Carfax and everything. I mean, the camera just kind of, casually follows him you know going about and settling in and everything it's very much almost like what we do in the shadows but done like as an art film um i mean there's like a million other things that i can say about it but i mean you know far and away i am my, my favorite vampire film even if it, it, it is probably the most atypical of, of vampire films um i do want to put out a strong um honorary mention though uh this one's kind of a lesser scene but i recommend it to anybody who's you know interested in Dracula, there was a 1977 BBC version with Louis Jordan, who also it plays it very kind of low key. It's a very cerebral Dracula. You know, Dracula is kind of very known for being sort of a very bombastic and theatrical, kind of like what you see with Christopher Lee in Bela Gossi. Whereas you know, there's like a simmering look to him. They, you can see that there's some wheels turning in in his head and. It's a very sinister take on the character. Um, absolutely love that. Uh, and then there's that, that, that Sesame Street character. Now, some people have told me that he doesn't count. I disagree. One, two, three. Ah, ah, ah.
0: All right, back to you, Dan. Listeners, I want to give you a peek behind the curtain. Rob pitched this episode to me, 4th of July, that joke was in the original pitch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I think we were out for sushi and I think I drunkenly told it to your son for the 10th time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's, it's entirely possible. But the first time was at our house watching jaws, but yeah, I mean, so many honorable mentions here. Like I, you know, I just started kind of going through my own memories and looking at Wikipedia and, and, you know, Jesus, we could go on, but uh you know if we just want to kind of spend a few minutes like pointing out some other good examples and stuff we want to give shout outs to uh you know uh Kyle Starks's old head which was a, a kickstarter he did a couple of years ago now you know it's a Kyle Starks comic it's going to be you know hyper violent but also funny as shit and that's probably one of my favorite Dracula scenes there's a scene that, so the, the the protagonist of this book is a washed up NBA player who finds out that he, he is the son of a vampire hunter. And the book, it starts out with him on the court and he's being, you know, his actions are being narrated by these two sportscasters who say, you know, he can't make a layup to sit, you know, or from, from the three point line to save his life. And the last big action set piece is he's fighting off all these vampires and he has the head of Dracula, in his hands and there's a wood chipper on the far end of this like courtyard where where this is all happening and you you piece together like oh i know exactly what they're they're gonna mirror what happened at the beginning motherfucker takes the head of dracula and shoots from three-point range and it lands in the goddamn (laughs) wood chipper and and I read. I read this in a public pool, and I lost my ever-loving shit. I was just <laughs> howling at how well done it is.
1: I'm literally looking <laughs> on my shelf for my copy. I'm pretty sure it's back here. It could be in any of the other eight million bookshelves I have, though. So. <laughs> <gasps> There's also a
0: scene where Dracula, in a flashback, turns to a woman and says, let me see those titties. You know, you just have to picture it in the Dracula voice. But, you know, again, it's it's fucking hilarious. Um, I also noted the uh, Dracula musical that Jason Siegel's character writes in Forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, with
2: puppets. That's that's a good <laughs>
0: That's actually a, a brilliant,
2: it, that, that's a pretty underrated comedy in itself, but that, that was a really genius little flourish that the movie
0: did. It absolutely was. And you, you could have made that like on the, on the DVD, just do the entire goddamn musical or do like a half hour. If, it, you know, if, if streaming had been like the thing it is now, there would be like a half hour Halloween puppet Dracula Halloween special.
1: I would watch that show.
0: I figured you would. <laughs> <laughs> um, some other some other good examples here. Oh, uh, I think this came out it, it was probably 2020, but uh, it was like a once larger than a normal comic, but not quite graphic novel length. Uh, Dracula Motherfucker huge uh, oh, thing. Yes. Uh, Erica Henderson and Alex decampy and you know you, you think erica henderson you think like you know squirrel girl you think uh think assassination you know you, you think of her to like funnier work but no this is it was just sort of a, a 1970s bombwater dracula tale and just really well done And it was one of those things that make you realize
2: oh shit erica henderson's got like skills and she's leveling up there were some really neat touches i mean i love that you know it starts out almost like uh Russ Myers, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> I mean, you have a character who actually even looks like Z-Man in it. But mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, the touch that I really love in that, it, it, it almost means kind of true to what I was talking about with Stokers. I mean, you know, Dracula is more of a presence than an actual character, and you actually yeah. don't see him. I mean, he's almost like this this, this cosmic presence and everything. And I and I, I actually I love that presentation.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really it's about the 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 brides more than anything, but you know, kind of keeping that that looming threat is is good good stuff.
1: I'm just gonna So yeah, I mean, I've got a whole bunch. Uh, Do it, <laughs> but one thing the over the course of the past two days to prepare for this, I watched two bits of Dracula related media. Uh, one, I went to see in the theaters as it's just about out of theaters now. The Invitation, mm-hmm. which is a horror movie that's out right now. And it they never say Dracula, but at some point, you know, he's a vampire. Like, they've called me names, son of the dragon. It's like, OK, so you're Dracula. It is. A movie that should have been an R-rated movie. It was clearly neutered to get a PG-13. Mm-hmm. And conceptually, there's a lot of cool stuff to it, but it winds up feeling sort of watered down, which was a shame because the trailers for it were very spooky and atmospheric. And the movie itself is just sort of okay. Uh, I also, just before we came up to record, uh, I watched the oft forgotten Batman versus Dracula uh, <laughs> with, from the also oft forgotten batman animated series the batman yeah. which is not as bad as a lot of people make it out to be especially as you get later into the series the problem with the the batman was that the first season or two desperately wanted to be anything but batman the animated series so i mean all the designs are so ridiculously like late 90s, early
0: 2000s. Is it the one where the Joker's like barefoot and has like, like creeper style, like just like a giant green bush of hair?
1: Yep. And uh, like he wears a, a straight jacket and his voice by Kevin Michael Richardson, who is again doing about as far from a Mark Hamill voice as you possibly can.
0: Yeah. About as <laughs> the, the complete opposite end of the octave scale, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But as as season three of the Batman rolls around, they finally bring in Jim Gordon and they introduce Batgirl before they introduce Robin, interestingly enough. But the show works better the deeper you get into it. But this movie, which by the way, is actually longer than mask of the phantasm by about 10 minutes is pretty good. I mean, I'm sure when it was released, Bruce Timm, who always wanted to do a vampire story for Batman, the animated series and Fox standards and practices would never let him was I'm sure pretty not happy about that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, Dracula is awoken in Gotham. Uh, The penguin becomes his Renfield, which is pretty (laughs) great. Uh, You know, walking around talking about the master Ah, voiced (laughs) by Tom Kenny. Penguin is Tom Kenny. SpongeBob. Yep, And Peter Stormare as Dracula does a great job. His accent is not as stereotypically Peter Stormare thick, like he reigns it in. <laughs> Where is
0: Pancake's house? It <laughs> fucks you up, Batman. We take some money.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's, it's really good and really creepy. It does a really good job being atmospheric. And it's often forgotten because you know, I, listen, the Batman isn't as good as Batman, the animated series. The Batman is not as good as the Brave and the Bold. The Batman is still better than a lot of other superhero animation. It it, it does some weird stuff, but it works pretty well. And this is really good and is on HBO Max if you have it. So mm. you can easily view it.
2: No, I haven't seen it, but uh, does it lean in at all to like the Kelly Jones
1: no, it it yeah. does its own pretty straight thing. That although Kelly Jones, oh believe me, if I had another favorite Dracula version, mm-hmm. it would be the Red Rain, because mm-hmm. that's also not a ton of Dracula in that. Mention Jones pulled back on using Dracula in that book, and it's a lot of, you know, the other vampires and Batman struggling with the the reigning the raining blood and the, the vampirism and all that. But yeah, I mean that, that's why that one is definitely in the top 10. I don't think it's in the top five anymore on the bat chat. Uh, big board. It's, it's still real high up there because mm-hmm. it's, it's the best bat pure Batman else worlds.
0: You know, I can't believe I didn't think of this sooner. Refresh my memory Matt. when, when Braven the bull did, the red rain episode was was Dracula in that or was, was it starting sort of in Media res with Bruce acting like a vampire?
1: I I believe it's been a long time, but I believe it's in media res. I believe okay. Bruce is already kind of y. And there's also another one where you see Batman of the multiverse and you do see also a Kelly, jo- a flat out Kelly Jones, bat vampire Batman in that one too. But I love that with him taking out the JLI one by one. Oh, it's mm-hmm. so good. That
0: show was so goddamn good. (laughs) Oh,
2: yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. But uh, let's see. see. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask about? Okay. So this surprised me today, and you guys kind of gave some answers, but I'd love to hear it, you know, talk about this uh, specifically. So uh, IDW has a uh, Star Trek Lower Decks series out now. Uh, Issue number two is coming out the week that we're recording, uh, and it's got Dracula in it. Now, me, of course, being the Star Star Trek Luddite in the room whenever the three of us get together, I didn't know Star Trek could do a Dracula, but apparently this has happened before.
1: (laughs) Well, this one, just before we let Rob get into the earlier, this one Ah! is actually (laughs) riffing on the legendary Elementary My Dear Data, where the holodeck creates a Moriarty that is self-aware. And the whole first issue is riffing on them in the holodeck being like, don't worry. They put in safeties to never let that happen again. Look, Hey computer, create a character that could beat, you know, that's self-aware cannot comply. Come on computer, create a holographic being that could beat the greatest Android in the world cannot comply. And then like uh, something hits the ship, a, a wave of something in the, so it causes a spike and suddenly it creates a self-aware holographic Dracula that is able to defeat data. And now they're stuck with it.
2: <laughs> Who uh, held my beloved Dr. Pulaski hostage bastard.
1: Oh yes. Moriarty. Oh, I tell you
2: what the, did you just go on a tangent really quick? Did you see the uh, season three teaser from uh, New York this weekend?
1: Not yet. Oh, uh, well, I,
2: I may have just inadvertently spoiled something, but um Yeah. <laughs> wait which
0: which i'm sorry which star trek series are we talking about because there's a few right uh, star now. Star trek,
2: the, the, the final season of the card which brings okay. back uh, the original, the uh, the next generation cast mm-hmm. and uh let's just say a few other surprise characters from next gen and i'll leave it at that and i hear matt giggling back there because he probably knows exactly <laughs> what I'm somebody who actually I, I wasn't even aware is still alive and looks like hasn't aged a day in
1: 30 years I'm excited. The uh, the the season two or one point season one back half trailer for uh, Prodigy features Admiral Jellico. That yes jerk.
2: Oh, I'm, I'm more excited to see O'Connor. I know this is turning into
1: a Star Trek episode now, but <laughs>
2: uh, I was prepared for that and I accept it.
1: We'll circle back. I just yeah, there's there's so uh, it is a golden age of Star Trek content. So I haven't read the lower decks issues. I really need to.
2: Um, now having, I, I love the show. If they go for some of the deepest of deep pools. I mean, going back to like the original, you know, the animated uh, series from the early 70s and everything. It would not shock me that the inclusion of, without reading it, that the inclusion of Dracula was a nod to um, the first Marvel iteration of Star Trek in the uh, early 80s, which uh, took place after uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, there was a, a couple of issues. Uh, Mar Wolfman and Dave Cochran were working on it, and and you talk about the gold key Star Trek being sort of batshit. Uh, this really uh, batshit. haha, Dracula. Um, <laughs> it, it's, uh, they essentially find like a haunted house in space. And it turns out that, you know, the Klingons have this device that kind of draws out your uh, greatest fears from your memory. So we're like, you know, like forbidden plan and bullshit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the Enterprise crew meets Dracula and not just any Dracula, but the Marvel Dracula. At the time. Which, so uh, have
1: I not read this, and I must.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because that, the thing about um, the Marvel Star Tracks, they, they pretty much, I don't know if IDW has reprinted any of them, but they just pretty much don't exist anymore unless, you know, you're in like
1: a $5 bin. <laughs> I must find these issue numbers and I must track them down because... Six and seven, I want to say it is. issue six and seven, yeah any chance for some more wolfman dracula is is good by me
0: <laughs> yeah no that 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 licensed stuff is always a bear to find uh, collected or 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 anywhere really
2: so again yeah dracula pops up everywhere you know dracula's in know. space so, <laughs> billy the kid meets dracula oh.
1: <laughs> so uh, my the theater i work at produced a feminist queer punk rock musical version of dracula called such things as vampires
0: i like all those adjectives before dracula that's that's so many good adjectives before dracula it was
1: it was you know amber and i went to see it with my youngest brother roy who was in town for some reason and roy roy's not a big you know roy goes to improv comedy roy goes to you know rock shows but roy's not a theater guy necessarily but we we brought him because he was around and i was like hey we wanted to fill the house that night so i was like i could get extra tickets and i asked him that so what did you think he's like you know i felt like that like i feel after seeing a good indie movie i'm not 100 sure what i saw but i know i liked it so uh so here's a, a fun obscure dracula and what so this This book is the illustrated history of superhero comics of the silver age, the volume two of the Taylor history of comics. I won a lot. Four of the five volumes of this in an auction at a comic shop that had a bunch of like little silent auctions. This book used to be in the library at in Maplewood, where my grandparents lived and where I would spend time growing up. And I remember taking this book out and it is basically uh Hey, we're going a through Z of the comics of the silver age, including some of the really weird and crazy ones, not from Marvel or DC. I think like I know what's coming. <laughs> the captain Marvel, who you'd say split and his arm would shoot into multiple pieces and <laughs> such like that. But Dell comics. Yes. Did a superhero version of Dracula. And I will read you the little three-paragraph description that they give of this. Please do. By the way, this was four issues, but issue one was just the Dell uh, film adaptation of the Stoker film, of the, uh, the Lugosi film, mm-hmm. but two through four. So, Count Dracula, a descendant of the original Dracula, is a millionaire scientist who hopes to clear his family's name by discovering a cure for brain damage. He concocts a serum from bat brains, but when he tests the potion by drinking it, yum, it gives him the power to turn into a bat at will. <laughs> the scientist decides to use his new talent for the good of mankind. I pledge by the strange powers which have become mine to fight against injustice, corruption, evil, and greed, which fills this earth in hopes that somehow, My example will be an example to all men. By the last issue, Dracula got some help in fighting evil, greed, corruption, and injustice in America. He was joined by another super bad creature, a female assistant, B.B. Beeb, known as Fleeta. That is the entire description of those three issues.
2: You know, I thought in Dracula, Motherfucker, there was a nod to that because there's a character named BB in that
1: I thought maybe is this sort of a wink you know that that might just that could very
2: well be
0: yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah (laughs) that I I remember reading that as like you know a a 10 year old and it always stuck with me and when I saw this book as part of this lot in the auction it's like yeah I'll bid $15 to get four hardcover crazy history of comics volumes and I won (laughs) and now that is mine
2: I mean, I, I love that his origin hes kind of, you know, copied and pasted from Dr. Kirk Connors in a way. I mean, it's very kind of Silver Age in that. But I mean, there, you know, in the multiverse out there, mm-hmm. this same story was told. And this motherfucker is named Batman because literally that's what <laughs> he has the power to turn into a bat <laughs> as it follows. Spider-Man, Ant-Man. Yeah, it's Batman
1: there was an indie comic, like a self-published comic that a guy came to Dewey's and back in the day, Dan was always good about, you know, somebody would come in with this self-published comic and he'd buy five copies and put them out on the racks. And I feel bad that, you know, me and Bush and various people just read this thing and just, oh, this is terrible.
2: You know, that would be an awesome cosplay to do, but like, that's one of those things like maybe one person would get it. Yep. I mean, he looks like the <laughs> Phantom with, it's almost like the barren blood yes or, very know, much
1: just, yeah. yeah but the, the self-published comic felt like it was riffing on that a little bit because it was called frogman and it was <laughs> a guy who was attempting to cure the cure this was a specific choice of words cure the greatest scourge on mankind drowning <laughs> Oh Jesus! I mean, you know, he's given this really like his daughter drowned, and so now, but it's like, dude, you don't cure drowning; you stop people from drowning. He was like, he was trying to get a formula that made people grow gills. It was, and it becomes this really Spider-Man thing where you know his partner sells him out to some villain, and they overdose him. So then you get a little bit of swamp thing or man thing in there. It's, it was weird.
0: I remember that comic being on the Racks at Dewey's when we had your your bachelor party and we just all hung out in the shop after hours and you and Bush just sort of mocking it.
1: It was not good. And I feel bad in a way. He's like, you know, somebody really put, you know, effort into doing this. And, you know, now that it's been, what, 15... Well, for you know what hell hells we're uh are we 14 years to the night we' pretty close because tomorrow uh, yeah, yeah your anniversary's anniversary is coming up so, so it would have been 14 years' ago last night yeah wow that's that's something. That is something but but nonetheless yeah I, I mean since the issue two never came out I doubt this guy is gonna hear this podcast about how his frogman comic wasn't great but yeah it was just like Oh, well, that reminds us, we're going to cure brain damage by bat brains. He's like, I'm going to cure drowning by frog DNA.
0: Okay, listen, if you're the Frogman creator and you're hearing this, yes, we've been very mean to you just now. But you know what? You know what's worse than your comic, and you can rest easy, you can sleep at night? Ethan Van Cyber's Cyber Frog. So you're <laughs> good.
2: You are
1: still better than Cyberfrog, my friend. <laughs>
0: uh, unless, unless you're a Nazi, in which case you're in the same boat. I, yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, shit. So uh, apparently Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula next year. Did you did you guys know this?
2: Yes. Oh, yes. Yep. Uh,
0: I mean, I, that's it. That's it. The contest is over, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's Nicolas Cage. Everything he does turns to... Some manner of bizarre, wonderful gold. He's going to chew up all the scenery in the castle. <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> but like, that's
0: the thing. So I was looking at sort of like the Wikipedia listing of, of actors who've played Dracula, uh, you know, over the past century, like almost exactly a century. And, you know, Christopher Lee, you see Christopher Lee over and over. You see John Carradine, you see, you know, Jack
2: Polance, I was aware of. Uh, you that's know, a, a really underrated version by the way. by uh. Dan Curtis, the guy who did uh, uh, Dark Shadows and mm-hmm. The Night Night Stalker, I really like that. But uh, you know, there there were a bunch that
0: surprised me that like I had, I had no idea. I didn't know Judd Hirsch played Dracula. I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't know about Stormare and that uh, Batman animated movie. I didn't know Ray Liotta played Dracula. Like some of these choices, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I can't, I can't see
2: it. David Niven played uh, mm-hmm. old Dracula. It was uh, one of the early uh, comedic versions. Um, one thing I do, I, I do want to uh, <laughs> interject I don't know if you want to call this irony or whatever but um you know going back to the seventies um, <laughs> and this is going to be probably the only time that I will ever mention the golden age of porn on this uh, podcast but um <laughs> you know back in the day when it was chic and everything and you had you know the big lavish productions mm-hmm. and, you know things like what you saw in boogie nights um, there was a version of Dracula for the adult industry called Dracula Sucks, which was actually like a pretty modestly made, you know, well production. One thing I will note um, Van Helsing is played by Reggie Nalder, who like vampire fans will recognize. He played Barlow in Toby Hooper's version of uh, Salem's Lot. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. But um, the actor that they got to play Dracula in the movie, uh, he was an uh, old porn legend named uh, Jamie Gillis. Who, you know, by every accounts was an absolute gentleman, you know, he's a porn actor, but absolutely beloved off screen and everything. And then two years later, Universal does their big budget version of Dracula with Frank Langella. Turns out it's a total sex fest. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that. And that's going to be my only little bit of discourse about, you know, sex workers
1: and everything like that.
2: But, uh, you know. Just a little respect. <laughs>
1: well, here Langella originated that role on Broadway. Yeah, in a stage version, which was art directed by Edward Gorey. Wow. Yeah, in the same way that Lugosi originally played Dracula on Broadway before he went into the film version. So there is history of being in a, the play version of Dracula before moving on to the big screen.
2: Yeah, I mean to be to be fair, you know, I despite you know fact he's a dirtbag, uh, <laughs> he he's a decent Dracula. I know some people kind of mock it, call it like Disco Dracula because it has that kind of uh you know like laser light you know poofy hair uh, aesthetic, you know the puffy shirt, everything. But uh, I'm not a terrible film.
1: Better than Dracula two thousand.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and actually way better uh, you know what um back to uh, rob secundus's question i you know yeah my my worst version of dracula i only like to talk about the good things but sure and it breaks my heart to say this was dario argento's recent version of dracula which i didn't even want to revisit for this podcast i saw it once you know it was like 10 years ago when it came out mm-hmm. unbelievably cheap looking I, I, the worst cgi you could possibly imagine um i mean this is like sub, like you can tell when things come out and it's like, okay, this is going to go directly to streaming. I mean, it's even like sub that quality. Wow. It's sad to see. I mean, this is, this is one of, uh, Rucker Howard's final roles and he's, he's actually pretty good in it as, uh, Van Helsing. Um, Aja Argento, I'm not going to go into any kind of details with that. I, I really don't need to see her in anything again. Um, I mean, you have Dracula turning into like a large CGI praying mantis in the film, <laughs> No, enough said it, it, it's just it, it, it's disgusting to see someone who had so much style you know in, in, in such a you know singular vision you know in the 70s and you know in the early 80s kind of devolve into this enough said about that
1: yeah
0: it, it's a shame
1: now rob earlier mentioned that the roy thomas dick giordano adaptation of the dracula novel Thomas also wrote the adaptation of the film Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, for Topps Comics? Yes, with Mike Mignola Mm -hmm. art. That's a classic. Yeah. It is a great book, and it is so wonderful that it is available again, finally, in a nice Mm -hmm. hardcover. Of course, as is everyone out there, just y'all can thank me, because I finally tracked down all four single issues, and the minute I did... (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah they were polybag too weren't they oh yeah the they were. Like the flavor of the day. yeah no that that was a very very, very uh stylish adaptation i mean there, there's so few great you know comic film adaptations i mean it, it got you know walt simonson's alien uh sienkiewicz's dune and then you know mignola's dracula probably the big 3
0: mm-hmm. I, I, I will say on that front, just not to drive us completely off the cliff cliff, but uh, I just read uh, Titan put out an adaptation of David Bowie's, the man who fell to earth oh, written, yes, written by Dan waters. Pretty good. It was a good read on the train.
1: That, that, that is on the list. Uh, Thomas also did a series or a uh, book, uh, uh, was Dracula Vlad the Impaler with Esteban Moroto on art that sort of marries the actual Vlad Tepish with Dracula? That is also pretty neat. But yeah, I mean he listen, Roy Thomas's X-Men might might not be the greatest run on those characters, but he wrote some great stuff over the years.
0: Absolutely. Now, Rob, looking in your list of talking points, uh, one mm-hmm. thing that hasn't come up yet, but I was curious about was uh Defula, I believe it says.
2: Something I know I, I, very little. This is like one of those, almost like, like, like a folk legend amongst uh, horror fans. Um, not available in any kind of physical media or streaming or anything like that. But in the 70s, apparently there was an all deaf film production of Dracula. Um, I was actually going to interject with that, you know, earlier when Matt was telling me about, you know, the, the stage production. And it's just, you know, just how endlessly adaptable the story has been, I mean, you could pretty much do anything with Dracula and it, none of it is heresy. It's all going to be, you know, maybe it's an interesting take. You know, that, that's kind of rare for any kind of like, you know, like fictional entity. But uh, Defula is one of those things. I mean, I know like, you know, the boutique labels that have sprung out like in the last like 10 or 15 years, like Vinegar yeah. Syndrome and, you know, Synapse and Severin and everything. I mean, I, I would, you know, love for one of them You know, be able to, you know, get the original elements and restore it and you know release like a nice edition. Interesting.
1: And it's it's more than just that Dracula is endlessly adaptable. It's that he steals the show in any anywhere where he enters. I cannot for the life of me remember where I read this quote, but Alan Moore somewhere said that in league of extraordinary gentlemen the only two characters that he was not going to use directly were dracula and sherlock holmes because when it comes to those two characters the minute they enter a story the story becomes about dracula or sherlock holmes so it's always better if you're trying to tell another story to not use them as bit parts because it, it, they become Poochie. It's like, whenever they're not on page, it's suddenly like, well, where's Dracula?
2: I mean, that almost goes back to the source right there. You know, Stoker barely uses him. Again, you see him, you know, you're introduced to him in the beginning and then there's interludes with him. I mean, it's the way that this, you know, the story is told. I mean, it's not exactly narrated. It's Instead, it's a collection of accounts and, you know, journal entries and letters and things like that. So there's no actual like narration following Dracula. It's always from the perspective of whoever encounters him or encounters, you know, the, the influence of him. So, you know, I can see that, you know, any, any time that he would show up, that's going to be a big moment.
0: Mm. It's, it's, it is that, it's that classic horror thing of like, don't show the monster until you absolutely have to. Right, right. Like the first Jaws. But, uh, yeah, so uh, another person who sent us questions, uh, our, our good friend, our grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, who uh, asked, she had two questions. Uh, one, Dracula and sexiness go hand in hand a lot of the time. Is it because he chooses pretty people to convert or is becoming one of the children of the night the best makeover ever? Rob, I, I believe you uh, raised your hand to answer uh, this one.
2: Asimov, that is a hell of a question. Uh, that, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful this is going to be kind of a deep dive I'm going to give you sort of the condensed soup version of it but again, when you go back to the original text for its time, I mean, Dracula is a pretty lurid story and it's meant to be lurid it's meant to be titillating to the reader and sexuality is something that is you know whether kind of outside in the margins or you know heavily suggested it, that's a part of the story I mean, there's some that actually believe that it's sort of a metaphor for syphilis also,
1: Mm.
2: that, you know, the vampirism, and and if you take it down to even, uh, you have penetration, you have the passing of bodily fluids, and then you have disease, you have bloodlust and things like that. So, I mean, there is sort of an inherent sexualness to that. You know, on one hand, you've got, Parker, while he's captive inside the castle, he encounters the three strange women, which is never completely explained. Are they brides of Dracula? Are they former victims? Are they they other prisoners? But uh, they sort of, you know, in a very like fever dreamish interlude, kind of begin to have their way with him. And He doesn't exactly mind it. And Stoker, I mean, comes like this close to actually implying actual oral sex. I mean, there's the line, she went on her knees, Mm -hmm. which, you know, for 1897, I mean, that's pretty steamy stuff for, you know, a mainstream Mm -hmm. novel. And then, you know, when when Dracula, you know, arrives in Whitby, you know, his eyes are, you know, first on uh, Mina and then Lucy or Lucy and then Mina you know, these young women and everything. Um, So, yeah, there is that sort of predatory attraction. Um, There's also, you know, an element of uh, chauvinism also, you know, where you have Lucy who's uh, killed and, you know, thus avenged by, you know, these these suitors that were in love with her and then trying to defend, you know, poor Nina. You know, that... something kind of like very of its time and then mm-hmm. it, 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 carrying forward you know because everything kind of you know what has what bounced off of that original text I mean, you see with the Christopher Lee films I mean there was a, a definite sexuality to that I mean they call it hammer glamour you know mm-hmm. the the bodices and the cleavage and everything you've got Vampirella which mm-hmm. actually the hammer was actually going to even produce a Vampirella film with a Caroline, the wonderful Caroline Monroe, who actually once called me the cheeky boy, gave me that pat. That was a wonderful little moment. Um, And then in the seventies, I mean, there was a whole cycle of um, what they call like erotica from uh, France and Spain. You've got the directors like um, Jess Franco and and Jean Renoir making erotic vampire stories. So yeah, there is an inherent sexuality to the vampire myth that, you know, again, is, you know, tied to that original luridness and that bloodlust, you know, it's, it's, it's hot stuff. It's meant to yeah. be hot stuff. That's yeah.
0: And, and that's an angle we've seen time and again, you know, even when Dracula's not in the picture, you know, interview with the vampire, both the, the movie from the nineties and the version that's out there now, you know, Twilight tried to do sort of the, chaster ya version of that but it was it was there oh god and uh,
2: another really really big one i mean speaking of you know like a real pioneering like queer horror and going back to david bowie there was uh the hunger in the early 80s with uh susan sarandon and Catherine Deneuve, mm-hmm. which was you know essentially like an erotic lesbian vampire film you know I think go probably back made Made more famous by Balhas as Bela Lugosi's dead than <laughs> anything else, but uh yeah. Sorry, Matt. <laughs>
1: no, no. I mean, you go back and you look at you, know, you say, lesb- "I mean, Carmilla." The oh yeah, which predates Dracula, mm-hmm. is a lesbian vampire tale.
2: Oh, Ham- Hammer definitely. Um I mean, that that was one of the things about Hammer. I mean, there was always sort of. I keep going back to that word lurid, I mean, you know, in the fifties and sixties, but, you know, especially in the early seventies when they really wanted to kind of keep up with what was going on like in Hollywood and, you know, this new era of like explicitness, I mean, they, they became very, you know, much more drenched in, in explicit gore and nudity and things like that, where, you know, you have some really interesting stuff. You have like the vampire lovers, and Twins of Evil and Countess Dracula, you know, so, so really like interesting kinky stuff came out of that.
1: Absolutely. I, I mean, I, uh, true blood is, you know, sexy yeah. vampires to the the extreme. Oh absolutely. That that that's straight up horny vampire. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, and then, Matt, uh, AF's other question, I figured, is is one for you. How bothered is Batman that people sometimes refer to him as crazy person dressed in a Dracula costume?
1: I think it depends on which Earth you're on. I don't think the Batman who fought Dracula is particularly pleased with that description. <laughs> uh, I think Earth Prime Batman doesn't really give a crap. Anything to forward superstitious and cowardly lots (laughs) is there anything we haven't touched on yet?
2: Oh my god, we haven't even like scraped the surface. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Dracula, we've barely
1: really talked about Tomb, yeah. I mean, Um, true, true, yeah. yeah, (laughs) Listen, that is a 70 issue run, 60 something issues have the same creative team, yeah. I think Colin drew all 70. And Wolfman came on uh, issue five or six and went all Mm. the way through. I think Archie Goodwin wrote the first couple.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh,
1: But there are so many weird, wild things in there. If you (laughs) issue, if you have to read just one issue 32, Ah. where Quincy Harker lures Dracula into this booby trapped house to finally take him out is such a good friggin' comic
2: the traps are so ridiculous i, I love you know he tells the you know the count first of all the count comes and says, all enter freely of your own free will ah i see you read the original text you know oh, here have a seat count ah no you've trapped this and then you see that he has his chair that if you sit on it has like a spring-loaded uh bar with a stake on it <laughs> for this part <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous. My favorite is you know uh he's following uh Quincy around in the house and he walks into a room and Quincy's just playing billiards and he hits a switch and the, the like the table actually like lifts up and becomes like a giant crucifix in the middle of the
1: room <laughs> I mean you gotta think I mean this is the series that gave us blade yeah mm-hmm. Blade first appeared in Tomb of Dracula 10.
0: And it took him like 25 (laughs) years to say some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You
2: know, other than 32, which is, you know, probably the classic. I mean, my favorite of that run is 50, um, where enemies of Dracula actually sort of um, convinced the Silver Surfer to take him on. They kind of devised the idea that, you know, the Silver Surfer who's trapped on earth or uh, exiled on earth at this point is sort of like, you know, the perfect counterpoint to Dracula. I mean, this is a a being of pure righteousness and, and, and life. And, you know, the surfer is kind of like, you know, sick of the human's bullshit constantly. It's like, you know, if I take Dracula down, maybe they'll like me. So, you know, he decides that Dracula is now his mortal enemy and goes on and, you know, there, there, there's some, you know, post-Silver Age cups going on and everything, but it kind of ends wonderfully. I mean, at the time Dracula was married uh, to a woman, uh, Domini, I believe the name was, she kind of interjects and tells the surfer that, uh, no, you need to enter this fight. There's nothing that you can do that you can punish him. He, it, it, I know how this ends. And in her eyes, she actually sees like a vision of Christ, like almost like, you know, good will eventually prevail over him. I mean, his days will inevitably end and kind of like implied that, you know, his own inner torment of being sort of this like undying creature of evil is sort of, you know like his own punishment. There's like, there's nothing you can do that you're you're not going to best him. And the surfer just kind of like calls it a draw and leaves
1: that latter third of tomb of dracula gets real philosophical about dracula's own inner turmoil and you know he he and domini they have a son and there's this whole thing and that is not the son that we see in friggin curse of the mutants thank you for saying that because i was going to ask (laughs) different son of dracula
2: But we do see that, Son, there was the um, the animated film, uh, was it The Sovereign of Darkness, I want to call it?
1: Yes, that sounds right. Sovereign of the Damned, Sovereign of the Damned. So- Sovereign of the
2: It is on YouTube. It's not on any kind of physical media, but there is an English sub on YouTube that you guys need to check out. But basically, yeah, it is like an anime adaptation of mm. a lot of the, yeah, of that run.
1: And yes, I mean, we just brought it up and I think we... Lamp shaded it or barely mentioned it earlier the the change to dracula around the time of curse of the mutants where he suddenly goes from you know suave classic dracula to pale bat-eared guy in bright red armor which why yeah why it's
0: it's a it's a bad design and it yeah. it sucks that it's stuck
2: yeah, and, you I can't know, figure out why. And look, and we're talking about the mutants. Let's talk about where it began. I mean, 159, um, which, you know, my own little personal history with that. Um, I, I got to say it was late 87. That was the very first back issue that I ever bought at my very first. Like, I don't think you can really call it a Comic-Con. It was basically just like a bunch of tables set up. With sure. Yeah. Long box things like that. Got it for a dollar. Spent five uh, five whole dollars I had to spend that day. My first dollar spent was on 159. I never forgot it. And that that, that is still sort of like a, a touchstone in not only my X-Men collection, but my comic collection. It's 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 a great little like one-off. I mean, it's you know, Claremont digging in all, you know, the, the greatest hits of Dracula mythos. You know, you got a little, you know, slugfest du jour and you know, it's 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 a it's a tidy little like one and done. And you know, it ends kind of very classly with, you know, Dracula kind of gaining that respect for, you know, Oroa o- kind of, you know, asserts her own independence. You know, I was born free and I shall live free. And he bows to her and respects that and everything. And that, I thought that, that that's a cool little touch. Um, it's, it's, it's a good issue. Also another thing, that might be one of the earliest inst- like moments where it's implied how spiritual Kurt is um, during the fight somebody shouts out, you know, we know how to beat him. You've read the legends. Wolverine makes the sign of the cross with his claws and the count laughs it off. He's like, it doesn't work if you don't believe. But then Kurt takes two twigs and makes the cross and it immediately stuns him. Wasn't wasn't there something with Kitty and the Star of David too? She pulls out a cross at one point and the cross does no good. And then when he goes to grab her throat, he touches the Star of David and he's ah, you're a Hebrew and yes it burns his hand
1: that's Sienkiewicz right that's
2: early Sienkiewicz you know what the funny thing is like if he wasn't credited you wouldn't realize it's him because it's not that maybe it was the you know the inking on it it's not
1: his usual style right which I was trying to remember because I'm picturing the issue and it's like it doesn't look it but I remember it being credited as yeah Sienkiewicz it's, it's, it's not...
0: very, like, post-Moon Knight, pre-New Mutant sinkevich so it's yeah. not, like, the yeah. sinkevich that we know, but, like, it's it's getting there. It's, like, mm-hmm. Bill's still finding his way, so it's, like, he's kind of doing Marvel House style a little bit, but you can tell, like, some greatness is within mm-hmm. him, and he just needs to, like, cut that
2: shit loose and draw a demon bear. Oh, they're wonderful moments. I mean, he, he does some pretty, you know, good dynamics action there's a really wonderful panel about halfway through it's kind of atypical of what his work is but uh where you see it's like a half page spread of uh, dracula and aurora and in the middle there's sort of like another little rectangular frame that frames his fangs and her jugular which it mm-hmm. was like kind of a neat little touch absolutely it's also
0: like that claremontism of the villain of the issue being you know smitten or obsessed with storm because i think he has doomed with the same thing yeah not long after that
2: <laughs> but with storm it kind of makes sense I mean, because storm is such you know uh, an ethereal pure you know kind of in, mm. you know in, this, in, in similar ways you know stoker kind of implies about you know mina mm. so that 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 kind of makes sense you know more so than going after like kitty well that would
0: just oh no, uh, no 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 i mean Ledger's if anything it's up, it's the contrast of a godless being, uh, you know, praying, attempting to pray on a goddess.
1: Absol- oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and Archon. Don't forget Archon. <laughs> Bowling for stories. But I want too. to.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but then we wouldn't have had that, the the uh, Ten of Swords issue of X Men 92, House of 92. Oh, so that miniseries
0: a- was so <laughs> goddamn good.
1: Yes. So you got to have Archon for that. Fair, okay, <laughs> and oh. and Dracula appearing in the X Men ninety two the the Sims Bowers series, mm. and that, that is was, true, and that's classic design Dracula, yeah. but it's not the six one six Dracula, but still classic design Dracula. I'll take it. <laughs> one of the here is a, a weird deep cut, but it's one that I always think is a really cool moment when it comes to using dracula uh there's an issue of superman it's 180 of the volume two so it's the the post post crisis yeah uh it's jeff Lobany and Ian Churchill, and it's hmm. superman versus dracula and in the end you know As we all know, Superman is vulnerable to magic. So vampire fangs could theoretically break his skin. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, the issue, you know, Superman's been fighting Dracula all issue. And Dracula winds up, you know, putting the whammy on it. And then Dracula goes in for the bite. And what powers Superman? The sun. Yep. So guess what Superman's blood is charged with? The sun. Yeah. So basically Dracula burns up from the inside from all of that solar charged blood.
0: Oh, that's good shit.
1: It's a that's great right. idea. That's
0: cool. Now, now let me, let me ask you this because you know, I'm familiar with Churchill from like, you know, cable and, and not doing it consistently every month. How was his Dracula design?
1: Very. uh Not look, the Dracula doesn't look like Lugosi, but it's that sort of you know, he's got the medallion, he's got the you know, trying to find uh, where was it? Here we go. I will drop a link in the chat so you can get it. I mean, he's he's still pretty nine to five, nineties fied, but he's not terrible. But yeah, this is where you know Dracula he bites him, and suddenly he's like, "Oh shit, that <laughs> didn't work. That worked out poorly for you, Drac."
2: Here we go. Quick question. Yeah, for the for the brain trust right here.
1: Now, uh,
2: an MCU casting is pretty much inevitable. I know there's been rumors to Denzel, which I've got mixed feelings about. I mean, oh my god, that's that's like taking a jackhammer to <laughs> you know, just drilling a little tiny hole, but uh. Who would you guys cast? Uh, Who's your, your dream cast? Because I've got, I actually, I had a pretty firm idea that literally just changed today. Hmm. Um, my wife and I are just kind of like bored flicking around, just looking for like a little bit of background noise while we eat dinner. And uh, the Mama Mia sequel was on, <laughs> of all things. Now I am kind of a fan of that, of the first Mama Mia being an Ada lover. Okay. But, uh, in, in the sequel, um, Andy Garcia is in it. It's like a much older Andy Garcia than we remember from, like, you know, like Black Rain and Stand in the I mean, very uh-huh. much, you know, grade and beard, you know, like, you know, he's definitely got some miles quote on him. I sat there and I thought, it's like, damn, he would make a great Dracula. Like now, Andy Garcia now. It's an actor I know we don't really think of very much, but, uh, you know, I, I would very much like to see that. I, I don't want another British guy you know, playing. Yeah, anime. no. And,
0: and you want somebody who's going to play well off Mahershala Ali. Yes, you know, and and hold their own. So,
1: I would love for them to actually go and find someone who's, you know, Eastern European. Yeah, go find an actor who is Romanian, because it, it just, it would be it, it would be a different look than what you, than that suave British look that you usually get. Could do that as long as he doesn't wear a tracksuit. (laughs) <laughs> yes, not track to Dracula's bro, bro, no, no not bro, no, Think
2: <laughs> a bro. <laughs> I want to see. I'd
0: like them to. I I'd like to see them go, you know, kind of farther afield, like, you know, I try for like an African Dracula or or an Asian Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, it- I wish I wish I had a name in mind. I, I mean. Fuck, I don't know. Making Michelle Yeoh play Dracula. She's great
1: in everything. I would <laughs> I would watch that show. <laughs> everything Dracula all at once. <laughs> oh, I just heard... James <laughs> Hong. <laughs> what the fuck yes, gong gong for Dracula. <laughs>
2: there we
1: go. I, I just heard a phenomenal interview with Michelle Yeoh, and it's just like... It's like, oh... Oh, it, it was on a Star Trek podcast, she's, and she's talking about the cast. It, I think she's the only person I've ever heard address Doug Jones as Dougie. Dougie <laughs> was talking. I was like, Dougie. Who's the- oh, Doug Jones. She means Doug Jones.
2: There was a wonderful photo recently. I think it was either from the Toronto or Telluride Film Fests of uh her and Brendan Fraser reunited. They did. Uh, I think it was like the third Mummy film together. Yep. Oh, wow, she's like okay. you know like sweet, sweetly embracing him, and of course you know the big caption is okay. These are next year's Oscar, best actor and best actress winners. I mean, of course, he's getting, you know, all the raves and a little bit of controversy for uh, the Aronofsky film, The Whale. And of Mm -hmm. course, I mean, she's getting, you know, just like never-ending buzz. I mean, I I know she'll absolutely be nominated for it. Um, But no, that was just like a little heartwarming to see.
0: Absolutely. I
1: mean... Maybe you go. I mean, because there's so much of the Drac, the 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 Vlad Tepish lore also tied up with Turkey, because the Turks were at war with mm-hmm. the Balakians at the time. So you go with someone of Turkish descent. Again, you get a different a view on Dracula if you get someone with that kind of look. It, mm-hmm. it would just. I, I think, generally speaking, as yet, as long as it's just not another freaking British guy. Yeah.
0: And the thing about Dracula is he claims just dis- to be a descendant of Attila the Hun, and the great thing about Attila the Hun is his descendants are everywhere.
1: <laughs> to yeah. say who isn't a descendant of Attila the
0: Hun. So any yeah. motherfucker who you know, <laughs> you know, starts yelling about woke Dracula, I'm like, my guy, Dracula's twenty three of me is crazy. So <laughs> those are the
1: motherfuckers
2: that are skating up upcoming. Yeah, Damn exactly.
1: Right. <laughs> okay, so this is a tangent too but we're talking MCU and mm-hmm. we're we're you know this is the halloween episode i know dan you've seen it i don't know if you have rob so we won't spoil it if you haven't uh, w- what were our thoughts on werewolf by night my,
0: my God, son bro. loves man thing now and i think that's great yeah. ted
2: ted our his friend, friend ted. 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 Oh. ted burns head ted who burns heads yes. That was, you know what, it just tickled me just how niche it was. I mean, it was a love letter to 30s Universal to, you know, 70s Marvel horror, to specifically like, you know, the oversized black and white magazine horror. I mean, you know, everything from the Bloodstones to, yeah, that, um, they, they couldn't have done man thing any better.
1: No, I loved every minute of it. And I will say, I was expecting, a post-credit like tease for blade and i'm thrilled that they didn't do it i'm thrilled that this was a little self-contained nugget that sure you know what yeah we might see ted again we might see jack again we might see elsa Mm. again but we we will not you will not need to have seen this this you didn't need to see anything going into this it was a perfect little 56 minute Yeah. Self contained
2: gem. I'll tell you what, I definitely want to see again is Michael Giacchino directing. I mean, this is, you know, I think he came in with a lot of low expectations like, okay, well, he could do music. Can he actually direct? And the
1: answer is a lot of the action is really dynamic and interesting. And the bit where you see the recently transformed Jack up in the clinging to before he pounces down on the guards was great yeah oh and and even then
0: it took them a while to build to the full reveal right they do that classic thing of like instead while he's transforming they're zooming in on elsa's face they're getting the reaction they're letting the mind paint the picture before you give away the store
1: i was saying that when i was sitting watching it it like you know this you you don't show the transformation because every werewolf transformation is always going to live up against American Werewolf in London, and none of them are ever going to meet the gold standard. So the best thing to do is don't show the transformation. Just hint at it, use sound, use shadow, use that little bit of animation that you saw there in the flesh, where you begin to see his body contort and things. But don't try to show it with CG, because it's not going to look as good as the practical effect in American Werewolf in London.
2: I'll tell you the only other one that comes close to this, and you're going to laugh, is the original Wolfman, <laughs> where it's literally almost like a stop motion. Okay, frame by frame. Yeah. You know, more yeah. hair on it. I mean, the CGI American Werewolf in Paris and and the Benicio Del Toro. It just no matter how much you know money you throw into it, it just doesn't look right. No. You know, it's just like what Rick Baker. The Rook Baker. I mean, really caught like just like the body horror and the agony of uh,
1: the sounds it's the yes. sounds the, bo- the bones the, mm-hmm. the bone stretching and you know oh yeah next year it's werewolves next year's Halloween oh, god, yeah. it right now we're doing werewolves because- oh my god we could do an hour just on
2: you know uh, the beast must die ginger snaps
1: the beast must
2: die. By the way, the spe- speaking of ginger snaps, I want to throw this out there. I know a lot uh-huh. of people are going to be looking for horror recommendations. Everybody's always talked about like how good ginger snaps is. Can great Canadian kind of like coming of age, teenage werewolf story. The sequels aren't bad either. It's funny because like, the sequels actually introduce um, an unknown at the time Canadian actress named Tatiana Maslany, which I'm sure a lot of people you already had a fan base you after know, Orphan Black, but I'm sure has really grown now. So that could be something of interest to you.
1: So I just picked up because I was, you know, I can't remember where I was, but I was looking at something. It was in somewhere that had Blu-rays and I just picked up a movie that I've not watched, so it might be terrible, and it's apparently, which I didn't know, an adaptation of a video game uh, called Werewolves Within. I, forgot that, things. Yeah, I I picked it up because it was 10 bucks on Blu-ray, and it stars uh, Milana Veintraub, who has voiced Squirrel Girl. And oh. so I was like, okay, it's her and Sam Richardson from Veep and various other places but it was like you know what it's ten dollars uh yeah i'll, I'll give the it shot it's werewolves i will watch anything with werewolves to begin with so
0: that sounds fascinating
1: yeah i will i will report back once i watch it over the course of the next week or so oh, i want to do this show next week Now, <laughs> <laughs> hey got a good. you know what
2: i got a good year you know what we got convention season coming up in the spring hopefully we'll have that bootleg table that i can get that uh Matt, you'll probably remember this in the late 80s. Fox had a, a short-lived series called Werewolf, which was yes. like one of the most graphically violent things ever made for network television. Maybe I can find a bootleg of that.
1: Breathe the <laughs> fuck out of me as a kid.
2: Yeah.
0: So that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am pissed. Matt, remember, I must have deleted the photo. Do you remember when we went to Princeton and we went into the record exchange and I found that stupid fucking Blu-ray movie. And it was, it was like this, it was a sequel, but it was a movie about a werewolf cop. Oh wolf wolf, cop. it was Wolf Cop 2. Okay, there we go. Yeah, of okay. course. I fucking Occam's Razor, the simplest title. Yeah. Okay.
1: Wolf Cop was the original. I think the sequel is Wolf Cop 2, but the original is
2: definitely Wolf Cop. Another Wolf Cop.
1: <laughs> it's, it's true. Oh, I love I,
2: I love the first Wolf Cop. Speaking of Canadian werewolves, that made, made it like Bumblefuck, like Edmonton, I believe, like just like out there in the, you know, the prairie land. A, a, a kooky little treasure.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the werewolf cop Lou Garou. Oh, God. I've never seen the sequel. I've seen the original wolf cop and enjoyed it. But. Yeah. Oh.
0: Well, it's it sounds like we've we've got a full steam for the Halloween special 2023,
2: and uh, I am very I, glad of I, that. I, we'll see how busy Matt is. You know, I got to say, like tonight, it, it, it is a pleasure and honor to be with you, Matt, the, the busiest man in comics podcasting. <laughs> It's like, you're like you're like the charles nelson riley of podcasting it's like you know by day you're doing like the ten thousand dollar pyramid in hollywood squares and then you go home at night and you're jose chung
1: <laughs> I, I was gonna say i don't know what i found more disturbing the souls at the center of the earth's sex orgy or the fact that it was written in screenplay format
2: I don't know. I think you. I, I think you got a little undead in you. I mean, I love you, buddy. But next time we go dollar den diving, I think I'm going to wear some uh, garlic gigolo body spray by Axe. <laughs> Strong enough for a Belmont, but made for Third Amigo Rob.
1: <laughs> Here's the secret, Rob. Outside, in this attic, not in this little space, but in the the, the space out there, there's a portrait of me growing older. <laughs>
0: Oh shit, gentlemen! Do we have any more Dracula thoughts, or or, or have we emptied the till?
2: I have no final thoughts. Uh, just a little sage wisdom from uh, our dearly departed friend Mitch Hedberg. I don't see Dr. Dracula,
1: <laughs> and not that it is direct. It's not as Dracula, but it is from a period similar piece from Sherlock Holmes and The Hound of the Baskervilles. As you value your life and your reason stay off the moors
0: these are the perfect notes to up, enter gentlemen another halloween special in the books oh thank children you children of the night we made
2: some sweet music tonight
0: <laughs> fuck yes thank thank you for being friends and thank you for this episode that's it for this week's show as a reminder wmqa is part of comics xf where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast the battle of the atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at Patreon.com, slash where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout outs on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation once you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Cap Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from Comics XF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote. Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, Pete Wisdom was actually the first character to ever say, to me, my X-Men. WNQA!